This is Sunrise. The who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day 17 of the 60-day legislative session. The House and Senate are both holding floor sessions this afternoon. On Monday, the governor lowered the age limit for COVID vaccinations to 60, and he says it's going to drop to 55 before the end of the month. I, I don't, I'm not going to announce yet, but we definitely will lower to 55 sometime in March. Uh, I think we can get that done even at the current stagnant supply. The state reported 59 more fatalities and 4,600 new cases of COVID Wednesday. Telehealth came into its own during the pandemic as doctors saw patients over Zoom and FaceTime. Now there's a bill to do the same with video vets. As is the case with humans, a physical examination is not necessary in many situations that a veterinarian can diagnose and treat. For pets, this can include fleas, ticks, ear mites, skin issues, triage, and more. A legislative committee approved Senator Lauren Book's bill that requires the state to suspend the medical license of any doctor arrested for child pornography, like her family's pediatrician. In my own community, we've seen these wolves in sheep's clothing infiltrate schools, churches, synagogues, after-school programs, and youth sports leagues. And I was horrified to learn that a wolf had also made his way into the pediatrician's office where my own children and thousands of others receive care. The governor wants to spend more than 100 million federal COVID dollars to beef up civics education in Florida schools. This initiative places an emphasis on the development and support of high quality civics education and rewards classroom teachers who take part in it. From the governor's description, it sounds like the kids will be getting the sanitized version of American civics. He says they will not be allowed to discuss what's known as critical race theory. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events, plus the stories of two Florida men, one accused of rioting for Donald Trump, the other accused of setting off a smoke bomb outside the former president's home at Mar-a-Lago. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, March 18th. This is National Close the Gap Day, National Biodiesel Day, and Awkward Moments Day. On this date in 1942, President Franklin Roosevelt signed an executive order creating the War Relocation Authority. They were charged with overseeing the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. In 1990, a Tampa Little Leaguer died after being hit by a wild pitch. Ten-year-old Ryan Wojcik went into cardiac arrest when the baseball struck him in the chest. And in 2005, Terry Schiavo's feeding tube was removed at the request of her husband. She died 13 days later. State lawmakers and Governor Jeb Bush tried to override the husband's decision, but they eventually lost the battle in court. The downward trend in COVID casualties continued Wednesday as the state reported 4,600 new cases and 59 additional fatalities from the virus. Our death toll has reached 33,120. The total number of cases now just over 1,989,000. After two months of the seniors' first policy where vaccines were reserved for people 65 and older, Ron DeSantis lowered the age to qualify for a COVID shot to 60 on Monday, and the governor says he'll be lowering it to 55 within a week or two. I, I don't, I'm not going to announce yet, but we definitely will lower to 55 sometime in March. 
Uh, I think we can get that done even at the current stagnant supply. We're looking at the demand, seeing, you know, when we first did this at like pharmacies, if you if you logged on five minutes to late, the, all the thousands of appointments would just be gone in a matter of minutes. Well, now if you log on, it's a little bit easier to do it. Now, they still get taken up, but it doesn't happen in two or three minutes like it used to. So that's a sign that it's a little bit better equilibrium. So as soon as we start to see uh, more availability, then you lower the age to 55. But I'm pretty confident. I mean, we've done we have 1.4 million people age 60 to 64. We Florida's done, I think, over 300,000 just in that age group. Obviously, we're doing more every day. And uh, I think that lowering that age is something that's going to happen uh, hopefully pretty soon. So as soon as we have the announcement, you know, we just want to make sure when we do the announcement that we don't create a crush on the system. We still have seniors that are getting shots, which is great. Obviously, the 60 to 64. And it's about another million and a half Floridians when you go down that extra five years from 60 to 55. So you just have to be able to absorb it. But I think we'll be able to do it. The governor made those remarks in Pinellas County, where they just set up a new vaccination pod. DeSantis says nearly two-thirds of Florida seniors have been vaccinated now, but the numbers in Pinellas are still lagging. When America shut down for COVID, doctors embraced what's known as telehealth, seeing patients by video instead of in person. Now the Agriculture Committee in the Florida Senate says it works so well for humans, maybe we should try it out on pets. Jeanette Hobgood with the ASPCA says video vets are a thing and the state needs to legalize it. The coronavirus pandemic has demonstrated for us the need to expand access to, to veterinary telemedicine for those who most need it, as we already have for human telehealth. Current Florida law forbids veterinarians from using telemedicine unless they've seen the patient within 12 months. And this is an outdated and somewhat arbitrary and often unnecessary regulatory hurdle that prevents veterinarians and consumers from accessing and fully utilizing telemedicine technology. As is the case with humans, a physical examination is not necessary in many situations that a veterinarian can diagnose and treat. For pets, this can include fleas, ticks, ear mites, skin issues, triage, and more. Where we should be opening a service and embracing innovation, we have, in fact, an unnecessary regulatory wall blocking access to telemedicine that is safe and sound. Telemedicine is especially helpful for pet owners who have difficulty accessing care due to income, transportation issues, you can't put a cat or a dog on a, on a public transportation, or disability. For senior citizens, for those who live in remote or underserved communities, those folks who aren't going into the clinic now and accessing this gold standard of Cadillac care. Telemedicine is helpful for fearful or potentially aggressive pets, specialty care, terminal disease management, and more. This bill helps Florida consumers of all income levels access care for their pets and promises to improve animal welfare over the long term. Some veterinarians still have their doubts. Dr. Julie Modion of Tallahassee says there are a lot of problems you cannot diagnose on FaceTime or a Zoom conference if your patient cannot talk. There are many, many conditions in veterinary medicine that can only be diagnosed with a complete physical exam. This is not equivalent to human medicine. Our patients cannot speak for themselves. They can't tell us where it hurts. They can't tell us how, when they're nauseated, they can't tell us when they're in pain. And oftentimes their owners, even though they are very well-meaning, they don't have the ability to understand the cues and the, the physical manifestations of those um, problems with their pets. The video vet bill passed unanimously.
The Health Policy Committee in the Senate has approved a measure that would automatically suspend the license if any Florida physician arrested on charges related to possession of child pornography, homicide, or other serious criminal charges. Senator Lauren Book filed the bill after her family pediatrician was busted by the feds. Most parents think that they have an idea about the kind of person who may seek to harm their child. The scary guy in the back alley, the shadowy figure in a big white van, the lurker from the community pool, or the creepy individual in the mall bathroom. But the exact opposite is most often true. In fact, 90% of the time when a child is harmed, it's at the hands of someone they know, love, and trust. In my own community, we've seen these wolves in sheep's clothing infiltrate schools, churches, synagogues, after-school programs, and youth sports leagues. And I was horrified to learn that a wolf had also made his way into the pediatrician's office, where my own children and thousands of others receive care. After practicing under the radar for two decades, charismatic and well-loved pediatrician Dr. Michael Mizraki was arrested in January of this year. He was charged with possession of child pornography, sending sexual messages to and soliciting naked photos from a child, and taking illicit photos of young girls from our community in various forms of undress. Despite facing federal charges for his predatory actions, and despite Ms. Rocky's own admission of sexual attraction to children, he remains in good standing with the Florida Board of Medicine and has been allowed to keep his license with no limitation or suspension. In fact, Dr. Mizraki has attempted to use his medical license as a guise to continue to access children, requesting from the court an ability to practice telemedicine. Since pursuing action against these predatory physicians from the State Board of Medicine and the Surgeon General, who have declined to take any action at all, I have received countless calls, emails, and letters detailing accounts of physician abuse from survivors and parents across the state and even outside of Florida. Let's be clear, 99.9% .9 of doctors are good, kind, and caring professionals. They are heroes who are dedicated to saving lives, not ruining them with abuse and exploitation. But when predatory physicians use their positions of power and trust to gain access to children, their deviant predilections and illegal actions pose a unique and targeted threat. This isn't just about making things safer for my own children, who I handed over to Ms. Rocky, completely and unsuspectingly. It's about making things safer for all of Florida's children. Senate Bill 1934 would close a gap in public safety by triggering an immediate suspension of a healthcare practitioner's license upon being criminally charged being criminally charged with specific heinous crimes against children pending the legal conclusion to these charges. This is not about simple allegations of inappropriate behavior. The immediate suspension of a license should occur when allegations of crimes against kids rise to the level of an arrest and filed charges, meaning there is at least enough evidence to warrant serious concerns. Book's bill was approved unanimously by the Health Policy Committee. It has two more stops before it can go to the Senate floor. The governor wants to use federal bucks from last year's COVID relief law to make Florida a national leader in the teaching of civics. He's calling on lawmakers to set aside more than $100 million for an initiative to support civics literacy and civics education. This initiative places an emphasis on the development and support of high-quality civics education and rewards classroom teachers who take part in it. 
Furthermore, the proposal leaves no stone unturned in creating a lasting legacy in the way Florida prepares, invests, and rewards teachers in civics education for generations to come. Most notably, our proposal will direct the Department of Education to create the Florida Civics Seal of Excellence a new professional endorsement for civics education. Under this initiative, the department will partner with national leaders in civics professional development to provide a series of modules and micro-credentials that any Florida teacher will be eligible to attain. And for every teacher completing the training and, order, and earning the Florida Civic Seal of Excellence endorsement, they will receive a $3,000 bonus and those teachers uh, take civics best practices and teaching strategies back to their schools and community, that will be well worth it. So now more than ever, it's essential that we place an emphasis on civics education in our schools. Uh, we want obviously to have good teachers teaching really good curriculum uh, to help us fulfill that mission. Now, one complaint about civics education in America is that we tend to whitewash our history, preaching the gospel of capitalism and free enterprise without actually mentioning how the country was built on slave labor. And don't expect that to change under the governor's plan. Florida civics curriculum will incorporate foundational concepts with the best materials, and it will expressly exclude unsanctioned narratives like critical race theory and other unsubstantiated theories. We need to get the politicization out of this curriculum. Our schools are supposed to give people a foundation of knowledge, not supposed to be indoctrination centers where you're trying to push specific ideologies. There's no room uh, in our classrooms for things like critical race theory. Teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other is not worth one red cent Critical race theory examines how race influences politics, culture, and the law, showing how racism continues to be pervasive. Last year, in the aftermath of the Black Lives Matter protests, Donald Trump canceled diversity training at federal agencies that used critical race theory. So once again, the governor is parroting the Donald. Speaking of race, a Senate committee votes to declare a holiday on June 19th. It's known as Juneteenth. It's a celebration of the Emancipation Proclamation and the end of slavery in America. So who could argue against that, right? Well, history buffs, for one. Lonnie Mann of Tallahassee told lawmakers June 19th was when the Emancipation Proclamation was acknowledged in Texas. Here in Florida, it happened a month earlier. With this bill, we're on the verge of further sublimating our own true history to Trinity national themes such as Juneteenth. It is a well-documented fact that May 20th, 1865, is a day that emancipation was announced in Florida and today it has been celebrated for 150 years. Floridians should take pride in our own true history. Gloria Jefferson Anderson lives in the Red Hills of North Florida and traces her family back to the Cherokee Indians. Our community, the Testarina community, has celebrated the emancipation of the slaves since May 20th, 1865. And that means that's about 165 years ago. Senator Kelly Stargell of Lakeland admits Florida's Emancipation Day was in May, not June, but she's okay with the Juneteenth holiday. This is a little bit of a challenge in that I love where you're going and trying to make sure that people are knowing the history of what's happened in the state of Florida. You know, those who fail to learn history are condemned to repeat it. We want to make sure that that never happens. Um, May, May 20th is probably the official, or is the official day of the emancipation here in the state of Florida, but Juneteenth is more widely accepted nationally and the one that more people go to. Senator Randolph Bracey of Orlando sponsored the bill making Juneteenth a holiday, but he says they did acknowledge the earlier date here in Florida. The language in this bill recognizes May 20th, and there's so much said about the inaccuracy. It says 
whereas emancipation in Florida was proclaimed in Tallahassee on May 20th, 1865. And for this reason, Floridians traditionally celebrate Emancipation Day on May 20th of each year. Um, I realize the significance of both days and we've tried to honor that in this piece of language. Uh, whether we uh, want to recognize June 19th or not, we know that it happened in Texas. The reality is the country celebrates slaves knowing about the Emancipation Proclamation on June 19th. And so um, I appreciate everyone's concern and, and appreciation for history and getting this right. Uh, with that, I will take all of these comments in consideration as this bill moves forward. Thank you, members. Bracey's original plan was to make Juneteenth a paid holiday, but lawmakers grumbled about the $16 million price tag, so he agreed to make it an unpaid holiday, and the bill passed unanimously. Your calendar of events is next, along with the tale of yet another Florida man facing charges for Insurrection Day. But first, a word from the sponsors. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to the Sunrise Calendar. At 2 this afternoon, the Florida House holds a floor session. They'll consider a bill that requires daily moments of silence in public schools, a measure requiring colleges and universities to conduct surveys about intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity on campus, and a bill renaming part of Florida's coral reef system in honor of State Representative Kristen Jacobs, who died last year of cancer. The Senate holds a floor session beginning at 2. They're expected to vote on a series of bills, including one to shield farmers from lawsuits and another revamping regulations for craft distilleries. The University of North Florida Board of Trustees holds a quarterly meeting at 8.30. The University of Florida Board of Trustees will start two days of meetings beginning at 9. Trustees at the University of West Florida meet at 9. The Florida Defense Support Task Force, which works to protect and expand military bases, meets at 10.30 in Tallahassee. The state Supreme Court releases opinions at 11. The Department of Agriculture Hemp Advisory Committee meets in conference call at 3, followed by a meeting of the Medical Cannabis Advisory Committee at 4. The feds have filed charges against a Florida man caught on video attacking police officers with a fire extinguisher while wearing an American flag jacket bearing the name of former President Donald Trump. Of course, this was at Insurrection Day. 53-year-old Robert Scott Palmer, a business owner from Clearwater, has been charged with assaulting officers, engaging in civil disorder, and entering a restricted building. He was first identified publicly by the Huffington Post. Finally today, investigators say a Florida man who was angry because he had not received his stimulus check from the government threw a smoke bomb outside Mar-a-Lago. That's the residence of former President Donald Trump. Two vehicles crashed trying to avoid the smoldering object, but there were no injuries. Paul Brantley Rawls of West Palm Beach faces multiple charges, including making, possessing, throwing, or discharging a destructive device, criminal mischief, and disorderly conduct. Rawls told investigators he's a former combat veteran and an airborne ranger who has been struggling since he was discharged. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 